Hi, this is Think Queerly, a queer thought leadership podcast that explores LGBTQ plus history, social change, and political issues to share an empowering perspective on queer lives and to look at how we can make a difference for a common humanity. I'm your host, Darren Steele. I'm a mind map mastery and ideation coach. Now today I'm going to talk about something very challenging from the perspective of critical thinking, and I'm calling this the threat of religious extremism and radicalized individuals on the common good, namely the lack of critical thinking skills, open-mindedness, and prejudice leads to inhumane behavior. Now, of course, a lot of fundamentalist religions, um, a lot of radicalized, prejudiced individuals and groups are very anti-LGBTQ, which is why this is the topic for today's Think Queerly podcast. I feel like I'm taking a risk here, but I think it's really important to say what I want to say because it is perhaps a bit provocative. It is a very strong couple of points or conclusions that I'm going to make um, that may feel like opinion, but I hope that I have substantiated what I believe to be true based on a critical thinking process that I will take you through now. So first off, what is critical thinking? Well, critical thinking is not about being judgmental of other people for their ideas or beliefs. Now, sometimes critical thinking is used in an academic world uh, as a way of breaking apart ideas, perhaps criticizing um, a person's thesis, uh, to see the holes, I guess, in the logic, but also hopefully to help improve that other person's way of thinking and final dissertation or essay or what have you. Instead, what I want to talk about here is that critical thinking is the practice of impartiality or attempting to suspend opinion, suspending subjectivity, and most definitely not fueling or going into outrage. What you're trying to do with critical thinking is to practice logical, open-ended questioning, and sometimes dialectical reasoning. That, of course, doesn't mean things might not get heated, but you are still working to try and prove your point while also listening to someone else's point of view or at least in the case where I'm delivering this podcast to you, I'm trying to work through an example to come to my point. So a definition, a dictionary definition of critical thinking is this. The objective analysis and evaluation of an issue in order to form a judgment. I'll read it again. The objective analysis and evaluation of an issue in order to form a judgment. So there's a few key words there that can go in different directions. So I think we need to be mindful in the practice of critical thinking to focus on the critical aspect of the thinking process towards having a clear, objective, 
and decisive analysis or evaluation of a situation. So we must also think of judgment within the more singular definition of the ability to make considered decisions or to come to sensible conclusions. So in other words, not coming to a subjective judgment or an opinion, which really is indefensible um, and doesn't allow for dialogue or discussion or debate at all. It is simply not critical if it's entirely subjective and therefore without um, considered reasoning or thinking. It dawned on me in my contemplation of the Tao Te Ching that I've been doing for quite some time that impartiality and compassion, I believe, should be requisites for critical thinking. So that makes a very different dynamic. You could just have a very almost contentious critical thinking sort of situation between, uh, say, two people or someone presenting an article, a, a critical thought piece. But if there's impartiality and compassion, that forces a different kind of emotional dynamic. And the simple reason is that those values of impartiality and compassion and and the conscious practice of those values, they go a much further way or, or kind of outreach towards understanding and universal connection, something that moves us towards a common good. So this willingness and openness to understand another person without prejudice is a form of humility. So how we support each other in dialogue, which is something you do together, to get clarity, to understand about what each person is trying to communicate by their ideas, their statements, their beliefs, and their, their body language— It's really important, especially when we open up to this aspect of humility. Um, Humility has the sense of understanding, of supporting. So this doesn't mean that when you're seeking to understand someone that you have to agree with them. Instead, you seek to understand the other person and how your ideas or beliefs impact what each of you perceives to be true in relation to the common good. Because if you're having some sort of a heated disagreement or debate, you're probably arguing, discussing, trying to dialogue about something that's probably moral or something that is considered a value or a belief system, which is what we would call the common good. Think of the common good as a free-flowing, unimpeded communication. Think of the common good as a free-flowing, unimpeded communication. Now, the root meaning of communication is to commune. And the word commune means to share your intimate thoughts or feelings with someone else. Yes, I know it also has a spiritual slash religious context, but that is 
one of the core meanings to share your intimate thoughts or feelings with someone else. So the practice of communing requires vulnerability, and that moves towards trust. And trust is a form of acceptance and connection with another person. This happens in one of the older parts of our brain, our mammalian brain, where we feel acceptance, connection, and care for other people. We have to have trust. And trust is a form of safety, a form of no threat that allows us to feel comfortable that we have prediction and response with respect to another person. So the more we trust another person, the closer or the deeper the connection. And the deeper the connection with another person, the more you will be able to accept and be willing to understand what they have to say, who they are, what they stand for, what they value and believe in. Now, unfortunately, what we're seeing more and more, especially online, over the last couple of years with COVID-19, things have just, in some ways, become much more apparent. Not that they weren't there, but they've really shown up. Right now in Canada, it is the middle of February. The convoy is happening in Ottawa, and it has nothing to do with mandates or vaccination. It has everything to do with far-right some of them neo-Nazi, some of them about wanting to overthrow the government. What we're seeing there is a total absence of communing. Now, it might sound like I'm just blaming one party, but showing up and creating a blockade and inconveniencing an entire population and saying we're not going to move until the government is thrown out of power just ain't going to fly instead what's happening is we see talking over talking at shouting ignoring canceling and so on whether this be here in the trucker convoy or online and none of these forms of communications are skillful they don't lead to effective communication or understanding or acceptance. There's no trust. There's no vulnerability. If you start from prejudice, there's no support for dialogue or constructive debate. Remember what I said earlier, you don't have to agree with someone, but if you start with from prejudice, you're already in judgment. So that isn't critical thinking. That's coming forward with a subjective stance an opinion. So what happens in these situations is you have a metaphorical wall instead of a bridge towards the other side. You have a wall instead of a path to connection. Now perhaps the most significant challenge with critical thinking is the intersection and potential conflict of one's beliefs especially when it comes to a higher power or something more dogmatic and ideological. I'm talking fundamentalist ideology. Starting at the base level, if you don't know why you believe what you believe in, now it could be just as simple as like, what are your beliefs around money? What are your beliefs around career? But if you don't know why you believe why you're following a certain set of rules or a belief system, well, you're not going to have critically held beliefs 
Because the more dogmatic, unquestioned, or ideological or fundamentalist that your belief systems are, well, de facto, the greater your prejudice, judgment, and unwillingness, or possibly even inability to practice critical thinking, as I've defined at the beginning of the podcast. Now, this is blatantly manifest in the United States right now, to use one particular example, with what religious freedom zealots inappropriately term sincerely held religious beliefs. Now, I will admit, first off, this is upsetting to me. And I'm not convinced that the feeling expressed by this sentiment is sincere in a thoughtful, compassionate, or impartial sense. I think, when I really look at this and try and understand this, that sincerely held religious beliefs are nothing more than a form of self-defense for one's prejudicial beliefs and choices that simply fly in the face of universal human dignity. Now, this is a point of, perhaps, contention or argument. And this is the point of the argument where I'm coming from, which is this. If you don't believe that every single person is a priori, I mean, without question, deserving of human dignity, irrespective of issues of equality, if you don't believe that every single person is deserving of human dignity, then you place yourself in a category of superior that substantiates crimes against humanity. So, for example, in one of the most glaring examples of inhumanity, religious freedom laws in the United States have been drafted and used to grant the right to refuse life-saving health care to someone who identifies as LGBTQ or completely disallowing any health care to somebody who identifies as trans. Because right now, trans people are taking the worst of the hate and prejudice in the United States. And this is because the particular medical professional is a God-fearing Christian because this person simply doesn't support the LGBTQ lifestyle is most likely the language they would use, which is entirely incorrect. Sorry, not sorry, no. There is simply no critical thinking present in the term sincerely held religious beliefs when it is used to support someone's decision not to provide life-saving health care to someone who identifies as LGBTQ. Full stop. Such beliefs are based in faith without reason or logic. Such beliefs are based on a book called the Bible, a book that is inconsistent at best. Here's critical thinking and here's factual truth that I don't even have to link to because it's been so well documented by hundreds, if not thousands, 
of articles. But historically, the Bible has been rewritten multiple times. There are more versions of the Bible than I can count. It has been badly translated, improperly translated. It has been interpreted for personal gain of self-identified saviors. Entire sections have been omitted, while others have been included. One might as well believe that the novel Alice in Wonderland actually happened. There is a serious problem with critical reasoning for people who think that this is the word of a imaginary being in the sky. And I know you might say that that is no longer critical thinking on my part and that it's more of an opinion, but I think it's a reasoned opinion um, So I will say those two things together. It's a reasoned opinion. So I want to conclude, and I don't know if this is quite the sensible conclusion in the sense of going back to the ability to make considered decisions or come to sensible conclusions as one of the definitions for judgment, but here we go. So as I've said, there are some laws on the books, and not just in the United States, there are similar awful laws in the world. But these types of laws allow a select group of people to act inhumanely because of their hatred and fear for another group of people. Now, we cannot reason from a place of hatred, fear, or threat. We cannot think critically from a place of hatred, threat, or fear. Which is why those who fight for their sincerely held religious beliefs are de facto fighting. They are fighting. They're not thinking critically. You know, without going into all of the neuroscience, being as simple as possible, we only make logical decisions when we have a calm heart and mind, when our emotions and our feelings are are good, meaning we feel happy, we don't feel under threat, we don't feel stressed. And that's when we can get into our prefrontal cortex, which is the part of our brain that allows for critical thinking. Otherwise, in your mammalian brain, you're thinking about, am I socially safe? Are my children safe? Is my partner safe? Am I loved? Or you're in your reptilian brain, your amygdala, which is fight, flight, or freeze, which is more mortal danger. You know, am I going to step onto the curb and get hit by a car? Is there a bear in the woods because I've been camping that's hungry and now is chasing me and I've got to run down towards the stream to get away? So a personal observation, a personal opinion, is that if you live your life based on the belief that you need to follow a set of moral rules in a book that can hardly claim to be based in fact, in order to be saved, then you have surrendered your ability to think rationally and to think rationally for yourself. You then live in fear of a never-witnessed higher power who grants salvation at his will. This is the ultimate patriarchal, top-down hierarchy. This is an exceptionally challenging problem. It means that religious fundamentalists 
and radical, radicalized individuals really can't think critically or that their ability to reason has limits. And when they reach those limits, when they get to the point where, where they don't accept a particular argument, they go into defense mode. And at that point, they cannot reason with calm impartiality and depend on their ideology, and they become a threat to any individual or group that they deem a sinner, unworthy, or less than human. And essentially, at the most extreme, these people are a threat to universal common good because their definition of what is common good is based in prejudice and judgment and, in some cases, hatred. A tougher, more challenging, think really episode. I hope you've found it worthwhile and that it was critical enough in my thought process. I'd love to hear your comments if they stay within the realm of critical thinking. Did I miss something? Did I make an error in my critical thinking? But I think it is important that we have these kinds of conversations and not so much that we label, but we are very clear that this isn't just a challenge. This is a threat to LGBTQ people, to BIPOC individuals. We can't sit back and allow radicalized individuals and fundamentalist religions to control morality and the common good. I can't imagine a darker place than that. All right, thanks for listening, and take good care.